Good morning. Good morning, church. Like Billy said, we're glad you're here. There's something special about being in the room. Yeah? Anybody watched church online before? Raise your hand. Show of hands. Hey, 2020 church. What's up? <laughs> I think that's the year that we really kind of had our moment, right? Where we're like, oh, yeah, we like the building. Yeah, we like the people. Yeah, we need the community. So we are so, so glad that you guys made it. Um, my name is Randy. I'm married to the super uh, good-looking drummer. And he just came up in clothes, and I'm thankful for him. Hey, um, and we are the lead pastors of gospel, and we're just really honored to be doing this every single week. Um, I know we, we get told often because we've moved from California to over here that you're glad we're moved. we've moved, but I just want to tell you, I'm glad that you've shown up. I'm glad uh, you dream teamers that make it happen every week, uh, you people that commit time and show up and you just make a way and you have families and you have jobs and you do a lot of stuff, but somehow you have made God a priority and your life inspires Billy and I, just so you know. You guys inspire us like every single day that we get up and we work and we put things together and we learn songs and we learn instruments. We don't know really much what we're doing. Um, it's, 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 it's the inspiration that comes from the people around us. So we love you and we're so thankful. But we're going to jump right in this morning. Are you guys excited? I'm honored to teach um, from the topic of insecurity. Insecurity. Now, we have been in a series uh, like you guys just saw that's called Seasons and um, talking about mental health and how seasons change and your emotions may go up and down, but our mental health doesn't have to follow suit. Um, and obviously in this first year that we've been here, I have experienced what everybody talked about, the February stuff and when it's like been really cold for like a really, really long time. And it's the first day of spring. It doesn't feel like spring, right? So I know what everybody is talking about now that we've spent a year here, but I also have experienced the fullness of God. And I have experienced that He can keep us consistent in a world that is very inconsistent. Um, and if we're honest, a lot of our mental health battles come from a space and a place of um, insecurity. You know, depression can be rooted through insecurity and all of these things, but um, I think I've experienced a lot of it, and so I'm really excited that I get to teach from it because, my goodness, you ever been through something and finally you get on the other side and you're like, what was it all for? And then, the, and then we come to head with something like this. So I'm thankful. But if you will, open your Bibles to ch uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. 6 through 11. So we are breaking down a few verses this morning. A little bit of context. The earth has been made. The land has been split. There is day and there is night. There is land and there is water. There's animals, all of these wonderful things. God did in seven days and on the seventh day he rested and he made man. And he saw that it was not good that man would dwell alone. So what did he make? Women. I love that. He made us. Girls, we were the solution to God's first problem. Yeah, you never heard that before. Tell your husband that next time. I am the solution. <laughs> but we pick up in chapter 3, and you may um, know this story. If not, this is when the serpent comes through, and uh, he has pretty much convinced Eve that uh, this is good. This is good. What's going to happen is there is a fruit in the center of this beautiful Garden of Eden, and God says, you can literally have anything in here except for this one thing. And the serpent comes snaking in like he always does. And we pick up in, in verse 6 and it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed figs, fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can't relate. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to man and said to him, where are you? Do we really think that God didn't know where they were? Yeah, okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. He said, where are you? And he said to them, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
He said, speaking of God, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Genesis 3 verses 6 through 11. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beginning story of scripture that even in the, in the beginning, in the perfection of all that you created, God, you've slipped in some great things to learn. So we're honored. We love you. We can't wait to hear what you have, Father. Ready their hearts. Prepare the soil. May I just be a conduit of what you want to say this morning, God. Let your words, let it not be my words, but your words, Father, that there would be transformation, growth, and revelation, and that we would never be the same after hearing this. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few things we kind of got to lay the groundwork on in this text is that um, the serpent had pretty much come in and said, did God really say you can't have any fruit? And he said, are you sure that you, you know, you don't want you, if you eat this, you'll be just like God. And he, he made all of these, um, these attempts at breaking down what was true. But let's just make it clear that the garden was made perfect. Can we all agree that Eden was perfection? If your idea of perfection is like, you know, in Florida on the beaches and the perfect weather, like imagine that to like much higher level, right? Like for me, I, when I think of perfection, I think of like Cancun, Mexico, or like, you know, sitting on the beach of Hawaii and like all these great things. And I literally can't fathom that there was something even better than that, right? And so we kind of lay the groundwork that everything's good. And, and what did the serpent do? He came slithering in as he always does. And he challenged three things. He challenged what was true, what was right, and who they were. Okay, let me break it down for you. He, he, he really came into the idea that when he said, you know, are you sure you can't have anything here? Like nothing at all? And it's funny how instantly the enemy just kind of switched it up on them. Isn't that kind of like insecurity? I don't know about you guys, but for me, I've dealt with insecurity my whole life. I have learned that insecurity is this big monster and the more I give into it, it's pretty much like me feeding it. So I fill it up and it gets bigger and stronger. But the more I starve it, the more weak it becomes. Um, I think a good thing to note even about insecurity is that it's not just left to the people that don't like how they look or you want to lose a few pounds or you're ready to start working out or maybe you don't like your teeth or the way that you sing when you, when you sound, when you sing or things like that. Honestly, can we all, when we all think of insecurity, it's easy to default to those things. But I think when we're talking about insecurity, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, and, and, and it goes wider than that and, and there's some roots to insecurity. And, and I, when I came to it this week and I started really asking God, I didn't just deal with what I looked like, but what did I deal with, God? What have I been dealing with? And I think the real, the real insecurity is it comes down to belief and disbelief. Okay? So let me, let me just lay some groundwork before you say, oh, that message not for me. I'm pretty secure in who I am. I know who I am. I've got it. Some of the men in the room, hey, talking to you. Yes. <laughs> It's, it, and it's interesting because it does come down to the fact that are you secure, not just in what you look like or what you sound like, but when, when the tides of life come and go, are you secure that God is who he says he is? When you face a giant in your workplace, when you're toe-to-toe with your enemy or, or you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse, is God still God or has insecurity crept itself in? Or is God only God sometimes and not other times? Or is he God when, he's con- when it's convenient, but he's not when it's inconvenient? When storms come and the weather changes and the seasons go, is there still a sense of security that God is God? Now let me tell you what the serpent did. He said, no, he's not. <laughs> Isn't that the voice we hear sometimes? And, and you're getting ready and you're coming to church and you're like, okay, it's going to be a good day. And you're walking out the door and then here comes that whisper and it's like, it's not going to be a good day. You can't handle what's ahead of you. I don't think you should leave right now. You should probably just stay home. So th- those are voices of insecurity. And that's exactly what the enemy did when he really came toe to toe with the idea of questioning what, what truth was. Because that's what it was. God said, you could have anything except for this one. And the enemy said, you can't have anything. Only this. 
So instantly there was a manipulation that began from the very beginning of what the enemy was going to do. Because God said in Genesis 3, you shall eat not of this fruit, but of anything else. And if you eat of it, you will die. And, and what did the enemy say? He said, you will not die. Literally the next verse. God says, you will die. And the enemy says, you will not die. Making a quick challenge at the fact that eating of this fruit, yeah, they weren't going to literally drop down to the ground and die, but life was found in the obedience. Truth was found in the obedience. Fullness was found in the obedience. He also questioned what was right. Again, like he says, you can have anything, any of it. And, and the enemy came in and said, well, I don't think that that's exactly what he meant. You ever heard that? When you have a conversation with someone and you walk away and you're good. And the first thing was, well, that, is that what he really said? Are you sure you should have said that? You ever overthink like a conversation for like a really long time? Yeah, that, that's the enemy. Questioning, are you right? Are you wrong? Getting those little whispers. And then who I am. Because God said, it says here in Genesis 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, this is what the enemy says, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. I don't know that God wants us to be like him more than he wants us to be God-like. So I'm not trying to be like God because I do not have the ability, strength, or patience. I want to be God-like. I want to carry the attributes of him, but I cannot be him. And isn't that what, what happens in today's day and age? Identity instantly becomes question. When you deal with insecurity, the first thing, often the surface level thing like we're talking about, is identity, who I am, who I am in Christ, what my identity is meant to be, who God said. Why do you think there's a war waging on identity today? Because if he can't challenge you on what's true and he can't challenge you on what's right, he'll challenge you on who you are. So you may be certain today, we may be certain of what is true, that Jesus is king. And you may be certain on what is right to love your neighbors, but what you may be dealing with is who you are. Let me tell you, that's the enemy's last stitch effort. The other ones didn't work on you. So now he may be chasing you down for your identity. Friends, let me tell you, today we will reassure you on who you are. Okay? We're going to learn this morning on who you are. That's just what the enemy does. That's what he does. I think we have to make clear what some of the attacks are, right? Before we can come in and battle. So, so yeah, if you don't have a pen, if you don't have a paper, if you don't have your phone, take your notes out. Because today's going to be a good one, all right? All right, so we kind of laid the groundwork of what the enemy was trying to do. And he furthers the issue. But I think, like we said, the, the big fight of insecurity is coming into battle on what is true and what is a lie. That's what it is. And, and, and our, our fight becomes, will we believe when you come into battle and, and it's time to chase down a new career or you're opening a business or you're doing that, will you believe the truth that God says you are the head and not the tail, that he will bless you coming in and bless you going out, that you are the righteousness of Christ Jesus, or is that not true anymore? Because insecurity finds itself much deeper. Okay, we have to really break the ground and get past, I don't really like what I look like. And Yes, let's deal with those things. Let's find out where those came from. Let's figure out who planted those in your head. But we got to go deeper. Because even when you look perfect on the outside, trust me, I have worked around some really high up there people, influential people. And even though they look perfect on the outside, thinking that that would have been the solution to the insecurity, there are still other issues that find themselves rooted deeper that are still attached to the same insecurity all they've done is just clip the trim on the outside but the roots are still way down in there okay let me tell you something in mark that said um, about belief this is a story very quickly on a son who uh, a man whose son was possessed and it was a crazy rampant demon you can go back and read it and jesus said to him if you can speaking believe all things are possible for those who believe. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. What, what Jesus was saying to him was, your son has access to the healing if you believe. Your son has access to redemption and freedom, but you need to believe. So maybe you're believing for someone over here and you're believing for someone over there, but are you believing for you right here? 
help my unbelief. I think when we listen to the next few things that I'm going to share, let's really ask God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Help my unbelief. Okay. Um, Again, we've got to reestablish and reiterate that insecurity boils down to belief and unbelief. I'm going to keep reiterating it to you because there have been many times where I'm in the middle of a fight with insecurity. My monster is crawling because I am starving that man. I am starving that little demon. He's crawling to me, trying to get to me. And I just say, help my unbelief, Lord. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help my unbelief. I believe you. I am who you say I am. That I am above and not beneath. That I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That I am a new creation. I have to ask God to help my unbelief. Okay, let's let's talk about some truth about insecurity, but also some tools against insecurity. If you have a phone, feel free to take a picture of that. Or if you write real fast. Yeah, you could do that too. Okay. So this is some truth about insecurity. If you're in the room and you're like, ah, I don't, I don't deal with that. If you can say you're good on all of these, then sure. You got it. Talk to me after. I want to learn how you do it. Uh, but if the, any of these somewhat resonate with you, then, then, then open your ears, all right? Okay, so some truth about insecurity, that it fosters self-doubt. It fosters self-doubt. The second thing it does is it focuses on the safe. Insecurity focuses on the safe. We don't want to be outside of our comfort zone. We don't want to go to areas we don't know. We don't want to try things we don't know. We don't want new community. We don't want new relationship. We just want to stay in the safe. We don't want anything around us to change. If change scares you, if change makes you uncomfortable, I think it's safe to say that it's not that you're afraid of change. It's that there's insecurity that God is on the other side of that change. Okay, I don't think that we are afraid of change. I think that we're afraid that God might not meet us on the other side of that change. Okay, so it focuses on the safe. It blocks affirmation. It blocks affirmation. Oh my gosh, sis, you look so pretty today. No, I don't. Uh, yes, you do. No, I don't. Uh, yes, you do. Have you ever been there? Wow, incredible job today. Yeah. Okay, this is awkward. Wow, you, you, you guys are killing it. Your family's doing incredible. We're so proud of you guys. Well, I mean, you know, it blocks affirmation. It blo- you know, we, we wonder, sometimes God sends his affirmation directly through his people, and we just want to cut it right off. God, where are you? I need to know that I'm in the right place. Someone walks up to you. You guys are crushing it. Well, I don't know if I'm in the right place. Okay, so it blocks affirmation. It becomes defensive and unteachable. It becomes defensive and unteachable. There are a few ways that insecurity can manifest itself. And oftentimes we think that the defensive and unteachable are proud, but pride and being proud is rooted in this very thing. When, it's, not that, it's not that you know everything already. It's just that the idea that someone knows more than you is, begins to fester. You ever been that where like someone knows a little bit more than you in a subject that you knew a lot in and instantly you begin to think that you're not of any worth anymore? Insecurity. So what, what's happening? You're believing that your worth is rooted in your knowledge instead of who Christ says you are. Okay? Because your worth and your value is not determined by what's inside of you but by the fact that God called you a royal priesthood. Okay? So it blocks and it becomes defensive and unteachable. It places judgment on others. This one's a good one. Because a lot of people like to walk around like they're, you know, if we feel good and we're good. And then the second someone walks by and they look a little bit nicer than you or they're wearing a different, you know, cooler thing or their kids are really well behaved, you instantly, we instantly have a comment on it. Oh, well, yeah, here she comes. Or, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, look at her. Look at them. Yeah, they just think they're a great, happy family. Yeah, we pass judgment. That's insecurity, friends. That's not security. You are not secure if you are, if someone walks in a room and you feel the need to make a comment on them. Insecurity often speaks for itself when you don't speak. Like you're not, maybe you're not like, oh yeah, she looks so much better than me. But you saying, oh, mm mm-hmm, of course that's what they're wearing. That, yeah. Yeah, insecurity just went, 
and wrote it on your head, and it's right there like a big flasher. I've been there before. I'm not telling you because, you know, I'm correcting you. I'm telling you because I've experienced it. I have been that person, okay? And, and, it, and it just people threaten us when we're insecure. Someone walks in with a gift or, like, they walk in and they're, they're excited or, you know, they're happy, and that happiness makes us insecure. We've got to start figuring out why and what to do against it, okay? And the next thing it does is it resists relational connection. It resists relational connection. Maybe a previous relationship you've been in, like, has caused you to become insecure. So now you're insecure relationally. You don't know if you can trust people. You don't know who to talk to. You kind of feel alone. You wonder if you can talk to anybody. That's what insecurity does. It separates us, not just from the love of God, but from the love of God he sends through community. It it separates us. And the last thing it does, it either controls or is controlled. So you may be experiencing, you know, a few of these, or you're like, I'm not a controlling person, but insecurity controls you. Or maybe you're like, insecurity doesn't control me. I have it, but it doesn't control me. But you always need to be in control. You always got to have your hand on it. You got to have the last say. You got to know where it goes, when it goes. And if it doesn't go your way, you don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, that, that, sorry. That's insecurity too. Okay. You're like, great. I have a lot of these. Now what? Here you go. All right, here we go. And let me, let's do some happy stuff now. Okay. So here are some tools against it. Okay, we're building an artillery today because insecurity, truthfully, I don't think just disappears. And even when you fight against it for long seasons of time and you feel it calming down or like we were saying, it's like a giant. It begins to be starved. That doesn't mean that it won't come around the corner crawling at you again, trying to make its way. It's a continual fight. So here is your armor per se to fight against insecurity. We have to acknowledge its presence. We have to say you're th- it's there. Okay, I remember when I really started to decide I'm not going to be controlled by this thing anymore. The first thing I had to do is say insecurity's here. And I see you and you're not welcome here anymore. I had to say you are visible. I see it. It's here. Okay? And and I think a lot of us miss the very first step. And we're like I got it. I'm good. I know who I am. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I could do this by myself. That's not just being proud. That's being insecure that nobody can help you. And you are not enough. So the idea of being in a relationship, someone might see that. Yeah, that's what that is. The next thing we have to do is we have to confront its dominance. I think if you've never really taken a toe-to-toe against insecurity, but it's always been there, it's probably really big. It affects a lot of different places in our life and it makes its way into a lot of different spaces of our head and it attacks our mental health. And we have to acknowledge it's big. It's dominant. It, it goes as far as like literally making me cancel plans on my friends because I'm so insecure and I don't want to leave my house. Okay, it, it's, it's big. But let me tell you, God is bigger. The power of the Lord is bigger. What he says about you is bigger. It's greater. So it is big, but there is something bigger. Okay, and the next um, tool we have against it is we have to start to release our past. Because insecurity normally starts by something that we experienced in our past. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's an instantaneous, it's going to disappear. Your attachment to your past, your pain to your past, it's a process, but this is a tool to continually use against it. Okay, so we have to get in the process of releasing our past. I, I know for me, I experienced a lot of insecurity because my parents had a really, really um, bad divorce when I was like 17. So I'm like graduating high school. Um, I'm about to start my young adult life, right? Like all of these things. And my parents split and it was very chaotic and very messy. And there was all of these things that were happening and I didn't know what to do or how to deal with it. And both of my parents have incredible relationships with them now. The Lord has done miraculous things, y'all. Like, you want to talk about miracles? You need to hold on for your parents. It's on the house because the Lord has done something. But I remember that I had to release my past. I, had, I remember wondering, if my dad doesn't love, us, love me enough to stay, then who will love me? If my dad doesn't love me, if, if all of these things are happening, if God doesn't love me, that he let this happen, like, 
then who will? So then I thought I, was, uh, I, I wasn't of worth to have love, to experience love. So the first step really was I need to begin to unravel this. And it's not, your past won't just disappear, but you can begin to unravel it. And you can begin to take the knots out and say, okay, once I clear this up and it's out of the way, it's out of the way. So now the insecurity that sprouts up is not from my dad. It's from additional things that I face as my life continues. But that thing doesn't have a hold on me anymore. Okay? So we have to release our past. We have to understand our uniqueness. So for some of us, you're saying, no, I don't have like all the other stuff. I trust God. I love him. I do all these things. But I just really feel insecure about myself. Like what I look like, how this looks, what this is, my teeth, my smile, my chin, my, you know, this, like all these things. And I think like, let me just tell you, especially to the women, God took a paintbrush when he made you. In my head, okay, we'll go to heaven. We'll check it out on the DVD, all right? Blu-ray, whatever we want. See a few stories. But he brush-stroked all of those things you want to hide, all those extra lines and dots and marks and, like, bumps and edges of your body and the way that your jawline is shaped and the way that your ears curve behind your head and your cowlick spins up on the back corner. Like, he put those there. He, like, hand-did that. He crafted you. And, and it's so unique and it's so incredibly beautiful that we, but we try and spend our whole lives erasing them. But your uniqueness is what sets you apart. It, it sets you aside. It, 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 it puts you in the lane that you're meant to be. Like maybe you, and, and, and then let me also just say this with insecurity. You have so many more interesting things about you than the, the number that's on the back of your pants. Okay? Let me just make it clear because, like, I know I dealt with that for a long time. But there are so many more interesting things about you, your story, your life, your family, your call, your anointing, than the letter or number that sits on the back of your pants and the back of your shirt. Like, I just have to say that because, my goodness, we get caught up on the wrong thing sometimes. Or maybe that's not you, but your daughters deal with it. Tell them when you get home today, there are so many more interesting things about you than this silly number that is different at this store and different at that store and you're upset that you have to go up a side. That is so irrelevant. And that does not make you any more worthy or any less worthy of the call that God has on your life because something that sits on the back of a clothing that someone sewed on, it's unique. It's unique. There's something so unique about that. Okay, the next thing, we, a tool we have against it is we have to embrace our future. Again, this goes back to belief and disbelief. Embracing your, your future means I have security that God has a good one for me. I believe that my future is filled with hope, like Jeremiah says. When you embrace that thing, what you're saying is I have security, trust, and confidence that God is going to lay out a future that is like so bright, so beautiful. Might be a little chaotic, y'all. Let's be real. You know, if you would ask yourself six months ago, the six months probably was a little bit chaotic, but it was beautiful. There was something beautiful about the future. There's something beautiful about looking forward. The next thing we have to do, or the tools we can use against, is establish boundaries. Okay? I know this is a hard one. Establish them, and then super glue those things to the floor. Like, don't even give them a chance to be picked up. Like, draw the line in permanent marker. Use that Gorilla Glue and stand. I mean, whatever you need to do, ladies, grab that nail, super glue, nail glue, put it on the ground, and there's my boundary. You cannot cross that. Because oftentimes, we've, we all probably deal with a few triggers, right? Yeah, you have, ever, anybody have some triggers when it comes to insecurity? Uh, those boundaries don't just keep you safe. They keep the other person safe from your reactions, or the way that you'll speak if that thing's triggered. So what we do when we put a boundary up is we take the power away from the trigger. What we say is this trigger doesn't even exist because this boundary's here. So that you stay on that side, I stay on this side, not as a separation, but as a healthy protection. Okay, like I know for me, 
This is something that I've done. Here's a practical tip if you haven't. I, I, I'm like, I like social media. I'm a social media girl. I love, I get inspired. I love seeing people's lives. I love the creative side of all of these things. You know what I did in 20, I think it was 2020 because we were home and everybody, all we had was our phones, yo. And I remember going through my, everybody I followed and everybody that I was friends with. And, and I started unfollowing people that just didn't, Anytime I saw their picture on my timeline, I was like, oh, I want to be like that. Oh, I want to look like that. Or how come I'm not like this? How come my family's not like that? How come my husband isn't this? And I started, like, really saying, I'm going to make the timeline because if I'm going to be on this phone often, if I've got a lot of things happening here, I, wanna, I, I want it to fill me up. I don't want to feel drained every time I open my phone and, like, open an app. I, so I curated my timeline, and that was a boundary for me. So I don't follow, like, any of the Kardashians. I don't follow, like, any of the, like, supermodels. Because to me, I'm like, this does not do much for me. Like, it makes me wonder why I don't look like that. How come I can't wear that clothes? I just had to set some boundaries. That was solid for me. So maybe you can begin to think of what are some boundaries that are going to help you become a little bit more secure. Are there relationships that continue to infuse insecurity into your life? Are there, are there people or crowds or environments that, that all they do is make you feel less than? Yeah. Stop going there. Okay, if somebody needed to tell you, just don't do it anymore. Like sometimes we overcomplicate insecurity. And it's simple as like, I'm not, I'm going to delete the app. Or I'm going to delete that phone number. Or I'm going to block that contact. Like, and sometimes these surface level insecurities can be cut off if we just delete, remove, next. How different would it be if we just, if we just, if we started with the surface level stuff? How much more secure would we become in who we are and who God designed us if we could just attack some of these little things? There would be a huge difference. And the last thing, and I believe is the most important, is we have to continue insecurity checkups. Like I was saying, like it's a, it, to me, it's something that I continually fight. And the more I engage with it, the more I fall to it, it's like I'm spoon-feeding it. So what do I do is I have to do checkups consistently. Billy will literally ask me, like, hey, are you doing good? I noticed you were, like, really freaking out. Because I, I get really freaked out with, like, what I'm wearing, right? Like, you may not know. It's, like, so random. But I, like, I feel like I'm something in my head. When I don't, like, like what I'm wearing, I get, like, oh, my gosh. I feel weird. I don't, I, I just, I need to go home and change. I got to go. Like, and it sounds silly. But I think because of how my brain is wired, creative, I love fashion, it, like, affects me. So, like, Billy will notice I'm insecure if I, like, change my outfit, like, ten times in one day. Because I'm pretty good. I'm like, I pick it. I'm like, I like that. Yeah. And then like in the morning, I'll change like five or six times. And he'll literally say like, hey, are you okay? Like what? Like, are you feeling okay? And he's doing a checkup on me. So we got to have some people around us that, yes, we do them ourselves. But when people around us notice, we're not pushing relationships away. We're not saying distant. We're like, yeah, no, I, I, I am feeling it. I, I am feeling a little nervous. I am feeling a little anxious. I don't like what this, I don't, and it's like we have to continually do checkups. So if you're sitting in those two things, you're like, yes, that's me. Yes, that helps. Are you ready to fight this thing? Are you ready to fight this thing? Okay, I'm going to give you three things you need to do to fight against insecurity. Okay, three things you need to do. So we have the tools now. It's time to go to battle. Ready? All right, the first thing we have to do is we have to know our enemy. You have to know your enemy. Genesis 3 verses 1a says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Okay. You have to know that the enemy plays the same game, sings the same song, uses the same fight every single time. Most of us have been fighting the same thoughts the same intrusive thinking, the same demonic, like, oppression, as if the enemy hasn't been using the same tactics. This is what he always does. This is what he will always do. They call him the father of lies for a reason. From the very beginning of his mention in scripture, it's, it, like, God's telling us he's crafty, and he's sneaky, and he lies more than anybody else that you've ever met in your whole life. Can you believe that? Like some of y'all can think of some people in the room. You're like, really? Are you sure he lies and sneaky more than this one? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, this is what he does. The enemy will continually pick at the same places and go for that wound that's starting to scab over and he'll try picking it off 
again and reopen that wound. And then you start to grow it over and he starts to stick a Band-Aid on that thing. Put some Neosporin and kick him out of that wound, okay? Because he uses the same thing over and over again. So we have to know our enemy. The second thing we have to do is we have to know ourselves. You have to know yourself. Okay, Genesis 3 Verse 6a says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate of it. So, I mean, Miss Eve really didn't know herself very well. Let me just say, y'all, some of y'all been through labor. It's because this woman didn't know who she was. Okay. Just look at the power of not knowing who you are. Imagine if childbirth wouldn't have been what childbirth was. Like, because someone didn't know who they were. You ha- we have to know ourselves. We have to know what tempts us, what triggers us, what hurts us, what pains us, what allows voices to get louder. And we have to make our way out of those. Together, lock arms, get some encouragement, set up the Bible app as a notification on your phone to hear the truth, everyone, whatever you need to do. But you need, we need to know ourselves. I think what's interesting is in verse 13 of chapter 3, Eve tells God, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So a few verses later, she finds out, you know, she comes to head. A little late, ma'am, but she did it. Okay, we'll take it. But it was like, it, she said, the serpent de- deceived me, and I ate it. She took ownership of what she had fallen to. She took responsibility of the sin that she had committed. She, she, she stepped up. And maybe she didn't know herself when she sinned. And maybe you didn't know yourself when you fell into sin. But now you know who you are. It's time to stand up. Let's take responsibility. Let's move forward in the call that we were created and know who we are. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make sure you never find your identity. Because then you'll be wandering. You'll be looking. You'll be, your eyes are closed because you don't know who you are. And you'll be, is this, is this, is this God? Is this God? What is it? So as long, as long as he can keep you away from your identity, you don't know who you are. You don't know who he says about you. He can keep you with your eyes closed, thinking this is God when this is God. Okay? We have to know. We have to know with certainty. We have to have a confidence. And, and let me tell you this. Eve did not just stay in her sin. She did not just keep the label of her sin, but she began to step into who she was, starting with taking responsibility. She, it, she took on the crown. She took on the royalty that she was. It is time for us to see the truth of who you and I are. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 3.26 says, for all sons and daughters of God, we are all sons and daughters of God through Christ. Jesus. Galatians 4 chapter 7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave to sin, but you and I are a royal priesthood. We are heirs of Christ. There is some sort of power that we unlock when we recognize who we are. When there's a certainty of who you are, what you're created to do, and there's a there's a sense of security that comes when you know where you're supposed to be. Because maybe you, you, you're like, I, I know who I am. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty certain. But do you know that where you are is exactly where you're meant to be or you got some insecurities on that still? Is there still a teeter-totter on maybe I'm supposed to be here, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm supposed to be here, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm supposed to be in this relationship, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm supposed to, you know, start this new job, maybe I'm not. And, and we go back and forth, but it's because there's an, in, there's, a, there's an insecurity that he's placed you there and that you're, you, you are a need in this season. You are fulfilling a call when you sit in this seat on a Sunday morning. You're fulfilling a call when you get up in the morning and you put that lanyard on and here to help. And, you, and I know like, like our voice, they pick up that trailer. He's fulfilling a call because he's certain of who he is and where he's supposed to be. Can I, can I just tell you who you are real quick? You are an heir to the kingdom. You have an inheritance that no one can take away. 
You have a home in Christ Jesus. You are a son and a daughter. You are no longer an orphan. You are whole again. What broke you before does not have power to break you again. You are the royal priesthood. You are the head and not the tail. He is with you from the beginning and to the end. He does not leave you in the middle. He does not forsake you at the end. He carries us all the way through. That is the truth of who you are. But let me tell you the best way to figure out who you are. Do you want to know the best way? You're like, I don't know. What. Let me tell you. The, I probably should say the only way to truly figure out who you are is to know him. That's the third thing we have to do. Yeah, you got to know your enemy. Yes, you got to know yourself, what triggers you, what hurts you, what pains you, what, what, who you are, what God says about you. But all of that is only encompassed if, if we know our God. I'm going to read you again, Genesis 8 through 11. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they already ate of the fruit. They already sinned. They already fell short. They already listened to the voice of the enemy. And what did they do? They went and hid. And the very thing he created to support them, sustain them, protect them, they hid. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Do, are we going to pretend like we didn't know? Like he didn't know? Like he, he didn't know exactly where, he doesn't know exactly where you are? Exactly what you're facing? Exactly in the middle of, he, he knows ex exactly where you are. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Come on, as I close. And verse 11 says, God said, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you? that you weren't enough? Who told you you couldn't break the generational curse? Who told you you can't leave addiction behind? Who told you you don't have a future filled with hope? Who told you that marriage is not gonna work? Who told you your children cannot rise up and be world changers? Who told you that lie, son and daughter of the king? Who told you that? Knowing God is knowing that even in our sin and our insecurities, he came looking. In the cool of the day, some of us won't waste five minutes on a person if the weather's right. <laughs> I want to be outside. I want to kick my legs up. I want to relax. I want to enjoy. I, wanted it. I want it to be a good day for me. And what did God do in the cool of the day? He went looking. He went walking through this garden and the perfection that he made found these two little broken human beings. And I think he said, where are you? Not so that God could find them, but so that they could acknowledge where they really were. So maybe God's asking, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where you are. Because he wants to know if you know where you are. He wants to know if you know how volatile in a place you're in, how toxic some of these relationships that we keep accepting. He wants to know, do you know where you are? Do you know that you're not believing what I say? Where are you? But that's the nature of God. He's not gonna point out that you're in a bad place. He's so gentle. Do you know where you are? Not you sin Eve and you fell short and you messed it up. But do you know where you are? So meek. So kind. I used to think God was this big scary person in the sky. And I can't help but read Genesis 3 and think of the gentle, sweet, kind God. 
They didn't say, you messed up. He said, who told you that? Who told you you weren't clothed in dignity? Who told you you didn't have the arm? Who told you that? I don't know who told you the lies this morning, but I could tell you what God says about you. I could tell you how he's designed you. I can tell you that he has a future filled with hope for you. I could tell you that you're set apart. I think it's time to answer a few questions this morning. One, maybe you're just like coming into this and you're having this moment, you're like, what in the world? This is, yeah, I, I, I guess I am somewhere I didn't realize. I think we, some of us in the room need to answer the question that God asked and he said, where are you? It's time to be real with ourselves because no one else is going to do it. No one's going to walk you out of that bad relationships. No one's going to take you out of that toxic work environment. Nobody's going to grab your hand. Nobody can do it for us. They can do it with us, but nobody can do it for us. We have to answer, where are you? It's up to us to answer that question. God is so gentleman that he asks how many people you got friends, relationships? They don't even want to ask. Where are you at? How you been? Like, what's up? So some of us need to answer that question. But I think a lot of us needs to answer the question, who told you that? And then what you do? I'm just going to really quick. Some of you have some voices that are echoing. But they're echoing from a, from a, like someone that you actually heard. It's not just the enemy. It's not just an intrusive thought. It's like you heard somebody tell you you're ugly. You're 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 not worth it. Like mean words. Like you're less than. Oh, you'll never be enough. You're always gonna be like that. Like you hear those words because someone actually verbally said that to you. So, if you have a notebook, something. What I want you to do is rip a piece of paper out of it, like small. I didn't have this plan, so roll with me, okay? What I need you to do is answer that question. Who told you? You could write me. You could write my husband. You can write my ex-boyfriend. You could write my teacher from school, my last boss that laid me off, that made me feel like I wasn't going to be enough, like I didn't have a career, I wasn't working. Who told you? Write it down. Go ahead. I know it's scary. It's like overwhelming to actually see the name. We have we have pens too, like if you need them, our ushers have them. If you want you want one, you can raise your hand. We want you to write down who told you that. Okay, now crumble it up. And then just slide it under your foot. Good, slide it under your foot. And step on it. Step on it. You think I'm silly. Some of us need a real, like, put that thing under your feet where it belongs, where the enemy goes down in the pits of hell, where that name, not that person, but that name and that lie belong under your feet. Under your feet. Because who told you that? They're not going to have any more power anymore. Because the truth of who you are is being discovered. Okay, if, if you need a tip this week, all right? If you need a tip this week, here's your tip. Start, literally go on Google and write biblical I am affirmations. And begin to speak those over yourself. It's uncomfortable. We're doing it in our women's group. It's actually extremely powerful. Shameless plug. We meet Mondays at our church office. If you want to connect, hey, I'll, I'll talk to you after. But we've done those. And they're beginning to build up who we are. And the people who told us that don't have as much power when we begin to listen to who is telling us the truth now. Okay. Can I pray for you this morning? Don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you and you, you, you stuck something under your foot and you are ready to hear the truth of God, let's go, let's do it. But maybe you're, you're just in a place and you're like, 
hearing that question for the first time, where are you? And you're ready to find your way back to to this Jesus we're talking about. You're ready to answer the question, the gentle, soft, sweet question. You're ready to answer that question. If that's you this morning, and I'm not saying if you just deal with insecurity, I'm saying you are finally ready to answer where you are to Jesus and begin this thing and do this thing with him. I want you to look at me. Just look at me with your beautiful eyes. Amazing, amazing, amazing. We are proud of you. You can do this. You are confident. You have the discipline and the strength to do what you're looking up for, okay? Will you pray with me? Say, dear Lord, here I am. You asked, where are you? And I'm ready to answer. Here I am. Say it again, here I am. Come on with conviction, say, here I am. One more time, say, here I am. Lord, I'm ready to acknowledge where I'm at. I'm ready to answer the who told you that. Take me on a journey. Use me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that is you and you looked up, we pray with you, but but if you're really serious and you really you're you're really about this thing, we have cards. Don't leave today without filling one out. They have them back at that usher table at our connection area. But if you're serious and you really want to make a step to Jesus, you want to get connected, you want to begin this life of security, you want to use those tools somewhere, you want an army to fight with, fill that card out. Don't let it just end here. Join a life group, get in community, maybe join the dream team or, or take the next. There's a step though. Like we were talking about those tools, acknowledging all of those are steps. Releasing your, that's a step. So don't leave today and let it be that you just looked up at the preacher. And that was it. There's got to be a step. Fill that card out, make a difference. But God has a huge plan for us, friends. And security only makes us stronger. Amen.